so let's wrap up and close out this Halloween season with a new film that came out this year. Uh, it was um, released at a um, convention. I believe it was released at San Diego Comic-Con back in July. And then it was finally released internationally this past September. I was saving it for this Halloween season. And I'm super glad I did. I'm super glad that this is how I'm ending this Halloween season off because it's been an interesting kind of ride going up and down between, you know, the good and the bad and reminiscing about the the worst case of what you can sometimes get dealt with when it comes to being a horror fan. And what we're going to talk about is The Barbarian. Now, first off, what I need people to acknowledge about this film if nobody has acknowledged it yet the barbarian is written and directed by zach Kreger. does anybody know who that is when i say that name does that ring a bell to you because it didn't ring a bell to me at first but then i recognized him when i saw his picture because i when i finished watching the movie i was like hmm i kind of want to know if he's done anything else and he has he absolutely has done something else. Do you know who Zach Kreger is? Zach Kreger is one of the five five dudes who was like the, the founder of the skit show, The Whitest Kids You Know, from like the, the mid-2000s and 2010s, and I think it was like 2007, like 2011. Yeah, you remember The Whitest Kids You Know? Yeah, that one of those dudes, Zach Kreger, one of those guys, wrote and directed this horror film. Now, knowing that gives me even more appreciation. Just to know that somebody like that kind of came out of that limelight, out of that, like, skit show comedy kind of thing. It gives me Jordan Peele vibes, really. That's what it really does. It gives me those vibes of, like, he had something else in him. He had something else under his belt, and he was willing to kind of, you know, do what he could do to make it happen. So, one of the other things that he's done, which is like i don't think a lot of people probably know about I, I only know it from researching is he also did a film back in 2011 called the civil war on drugs he's also the writer and rector for that and he's starred in a bunch of different tv shows he's gotten some other roles in some other movies but those are the only two films he has under his belt right now and the fact that this film barbarian is one and he wrote it i i think we're looking at like somebody who's gonna go places if they give him the chance because this is definitely a shining light in the right direction for him as a writer and director so what is barbarian well barbarian starts off with a woman named tess played by georgia uh, georgina i'm sorry i thought I almost said georgia georgina campbell who uh some may know from uh flowers or Black Mirror. I've never seen Black Mirror, but I know she's from that. I think she's also from the Superman show Krypton. Um, she's the first person you meet. She's going to a Airbnb that you don't know where it is. All it is is that it's in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. It's raining. And she gets there and she can't get into the house. And she starts banging on the door. And somebody answers the door who's already staying in that Airbnb. That person just so happens to be Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård's in this movie. He plays Keith. And for those who don't know who Bill Skarsgård is, that's the dude who played Pennywise in the most recent It adaptations. And he, he shows up. He kind of seems like, oh, this dude, 
seems harmless. There are a couple of scenes that make him feel a little unsettling. But he's basically like, yeah, I booked this on such and such app. And she's like, well, I booked this on this app. And so they're thinking that they kind of gotten taken, you know, double book a hotel room, get get twice the money, have the two of them figure it out. They they decide that they're going to kind of like spend the night in the, in the Airbnb together anyway. And, you know, they kind of hit it off. Things kind of start rolling. They discover they have similar interests and stuff. But creepy things are gradually starting to happen in the house. You get the feeling that Keith is kind of behind it. Like, maybe he himself is essentially, like, not who he claims to be. And then there's a turn of events where the reason Tess is there, they wake up the next day, and the reason Tess is there is she's going for a job interview. And the job interview is in Detroit. So in the neighborhood she's in is a very run-down section of um, Detroit that literally nobody else lives there but homeless people. And she's living there, well, not living there, she's staying there as an Airbnb. And she's staying there just so she could go and do this job interview for some person who does documentaries. So she goes, does the job interview, comes back, is in the house alone, and is, like, waiting for Keith to return. And then she discovers that things, you know, are kind of weird in the house. She is trying to get her stuff packed up because she wants to leave. And then she has to go to the bathroom. And she goes to the bathroom, finds out there's no toilet paper. Goes to start looking for toilet paper, finds toilet paper in the basement, but the door closes and locks and doesn't let her out. So now she's stuck in the basement, and they don't know when Keith's going to get back. So she's trying to figure out how she can get out of the basement, when all of a sudden she discovers this hidden door in the wall, and she opens it up, and she sees that it leads to a dark room or a dark corridor. You can't tell right off the bat, but then she's just like, nope. And she just avoids it altogether, but some time passes, and she's still stuck, so she's like, let me explore it a little bit. So she puts up a mirror that shines the light that's hanging in the basement down the hallway so she can kind of see what she's looking at. And she goes all the way down to the end of the hallway where she finds another room. Now that room's got a switch in it that she can turn on, and she discovers that there's a camera and a really filthy mattress in there, and it's fully lit. And it's very creepy because it looks like somebody was doing some sketchy shit in this room. And so she really decides that now is the time that you she has to leave, but thankfully, just at that moment, Keith, show, Keith shows up. They try to get her out of the basement. They can't, but the, he, she has the key, so she gives the key to Keith. Keith comes in, lets her out, and he's and she's explaining to him what she just discovered. He, like, doesn't really believe her, but he goes to investigate, and then he comes back. He doesn't come back. So because he doesn't come back, of course, she kind of, like, has built a pretty decent relationship with him. She goes in after him to kind of see what happened. But of course, what you're thinking as the audience member, you're thinking, hmm, this is a little sketchy. This feels like something that is a setup and Keith's behind it. So she goes down and she tries to find him, doesn't find him anywhere in the basement. She has her phone, so now she has a flashlight, goes down the hallway to the room, doesn't find him in the room. She then discovers right outside the room against the adjacent wall is a door that leads to a set of staircases that goes even deeper down under beneath the house. Well, she starts hearing him scream, and again, you as the viewer are still thinking, 
Keith is somehow behind this. And of course, what does Tess do? Tess goes down and goes after him. Because why not go after the guy you just met down a creepy staircase in a creepy hole in the wall in a creepy separate area of the Airbnb? It, it seems like it's, you know, perplexing why anybody would do this. But, you know, horror movies, am I right? So she goes down and she's trying to find him and she's discovering it gets creepier and creepier. And then she kind of finds him and he's running towards her. Oh, no, he's crawling towards her in the blackness. And she's like, um, okay, you know, I found you. We have to get out of there. And he's like, somebody else is down here. Something bit me. And she's like, what are you talking about? Come on, we have to go this way. He's like, no, 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 we have to go this way. And it's like, why aren't you listening to her? She came after you from that direction. You should go that way. But, of course, it stalls. And what essentially happens is... Oh no, he gets attacked by whatever the thing is that's living down there, which you don't know what it is, but it's tall, it's creepy looking, and it's naked. And this thing bashes his head against the wall viciously, just bam, bam, bam. It's a full 30 second scene of just his death and his skull getting bashed. And then the thing looks at Tess and just starts screaming, and then it just fades to black. Now, you would think... That that's maybe the intro to a movie. Everything I just described in the last nine minutes is all the first 45 minutes of the film. And this is a about hour and 40 minute film. And that's only the first act. So then it takes a small turn and it hops into the Justin Long character, AJ, who's an actor on a sitcom. And how it jumps into his character is that he's driving down the highway and he gets a call from his agent and a lawyer who specify that there's another co-star who's saying that um, she was raped by AJ so they have to kick him off the show. So he's kind of battling that out and discovering that like he can't afford to like fight her for defamation and whatnot. So he has to sell property. Lo and behold, what's a piece of property he owns? He owns the Airbnb house that these two were just quote-unquote murdered in. And who knows how many people have been murdered in that, but he owns that house that people are being murdered in. So he winds up saying, his, his uh, financial account winds up telling him you have to sell some of your property. So he flies out to Detroit to stay in the house, get it cleaned up, and try to get it sold so he can make some money to hire lawyers to fight this defamation case because he's claiming he didn't rape the girl and nobody really knows that's kind of a storyline that gets kind of mute it's just a plot point to get him out of like LA and in and into Detroit at this house and he discovers that like people were definitely staying there but the stuff wasn't cleaned up and he starts hearing noises in the basement he goes down in the basement starts discovering everything that's going on but he's able to go slightly deeper into it because what he's actually doing is he's taking like it's it's really freaking funny he's taking measurements because he thinks he can utilize that extra space to get more money out of the house so he doesn't find it creepy he looks at that and he thinks dollar signs so he's measuring the room with the camera and the mattress like not freaked out that there's a camera and a mattress in this little dungeon built in his basement 
No, he's not freaked out by that. He's just like, oh, spare room. This should count as square footage. It's I can add more money onto this because this is a finished room or something. So that's how he discovers the room, and he starts measuring it. Then he discovers downstairs, and he starts measuring it. And then he discovers this room where there's this, like, TV that's, like, playing this breastfeeding, like, tutorial from, like, the 70s. And it's just, uh, the floor is, like, covered in, like, clothes. And then he hears, like, something screech. And then he starts, like, running. And then he falls into this pit where, lo and behold, he discovers Tess. And Tess is still alive. And then it cuts again. So that's that's essentially Act 2. But there's a small other portion of Act 2 that um, doesn't, doesn't like, it, it's kind of a, uh, uh, a little prequel that etches Act 2 into what Act 3 is. I'm not going to say it's a full part of Act 2. I'm just going to say that it's like Act 2.5 that leads into Act 3. And Act 2.5 is basically where we meet the character played by Richard Brake, who is essentially the owner from the 70s. And you see him take his car to the store and pick up a bunch of baby stuff. And then you see him stalk this woman, go to her house, pretend to be like a repairman, set it up so that he can break in later. And then the the connotation is that he eventually breaks in and either kills or kidnaps the woman. Not 100% certain on that. It only lasts about 15 minutes and it's a precursor that you don't understand until very much deep into Act 3. So then Act 3 picks up with Tess and AJ, um, Georgina Campbell and Justin Long, in this cage. She's explaining to him what's happening. And she's basically saying that, like, she thinks she's a mother and we're her kids. And then you see the the long arm of this, like, like humanoid being stretch into the, the pit, into the little cage that there is, because she put a cage on top of it, and she's reaching out with a bottle. Tess goes and takes a drink from the bottle, and she bring, the mother brings it to AJ, and AJ's like, oh, absolutely not, I'm not doing this, you know, not even a chance. And the nurse gets mad, um, not the nurse, the mother, the mother gets mad, pulls open the cage, pulls him out of the pit, and then starts dragging him to the room. Tess sees this as a chance to escape, so she goes to, like, hop out and escape, and you see, um... Justin Long uh, get dragged into the room where she's trying to now breastfeed him in front of the video and she's going to escape out the way she came and she, she alarms the mother by tripping over the tape that's in the hallway still from when he was measuring and that alarms her so the mother then goes and chases her out of the house completely and um, Tess escapes but Tess has been down there for a while so she's really raggedy and she tries to get help but nobody like believes her because it's detroit and they're just like this is just some crackhead that is trying to break into somebody's actual house and the cops don't believe her the cops don't take her seriously they don't want anything to do with her and this whole time while she's trying to like get help and really try to figure it out justin long found his way out of the mother's room and down a different corridor in this little makeshift underground area and in this underground area he's found a room where he discovers the really old richard brake character who that he then finds out actually kidnapped 
this woman and I'm guessing like like raped and mutilated her for a long time because he's just got a stack of dresses and the dress right on top is the same dress of the woman from the scene at the end of Act 2. So he's like helping him at first because he thinks he's just a crippled old man but then he discovers what it is that he's done because the guy recorded everything so he's playing it on VHSs in this little dungeon, this little like hobbit hut and the guy pulls out a gun. You'd think he might shoot Justin but no, he shoots himself because he doesn't want to get caught and he doesn't have the strength to fight anymore. So he just offs himself so he doesn't get like caught and arrested or whatever. Even though he's on like a breathing machine and who knows what they would actually do to him in that state. In the state that he's in. So Justin Long then takes the gun and he goes back out into the corridor to try to escape. Because there's no way out from the room he's in. Meanwhile... Tess has found her way back into the house. She's found her way back downstairs and she's going down to try to find her way through to get Justin. She finds the room that she last saw Justin's character, AJ, and she's looking for him. And then all of a sudden she hears, she sees a light in the distance, but AJ doesn't see who that is. He just sees a figure. And then AJ shoots Tess and she falls to the ground. And you're thinking, oh shit, she's done for. But thankfully, he picks her up and they run out of the house. And it's only that the bullet, like, hit her side. Now, right before, the way... Okay, I forgot to mention this. The way Tess gets into the house is that the mother chases her outside. But Tess got in her car and ran the mother down. So the car is sticking partially out of the house. And the mother was there because she had crushed the mother between her house and the car. As they're coming out, AJ's carrying Tess out because um, she's bleeding because he shot her. Now, the car is total because she rammed into the house. However, Mother no longer is on top of the car. So what do they do? Instead of going back into the house to get AJ's keys for his car, they decide to just beam it down the road and hope for the best. And then they run into a homeless man who was like, you guys got to come in here. What was wrong with you? Why were you staying in that house? Blah, blah, blah. And he explains the story of the house. And the story of the house is the dude that Richard Brake was playing, Frank, is just that. He's he, he's a rapist. He's an, he's an abductor. And what he would do is he would, pay, he would pick up these women, kidnap them, rape them profusely until they got pregnant, force them to have the kids. Then, as those kids would get older, he would then rape those kids. And the way that the homeless guy describes it is you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And that's essentially what this creature is. It's this down the line, like, like incest child who grows up to be a mother who doesn't understand anything, but what's that, what she really wants is to be a mother. And I'm guessing it's the last of the bloodline and he can't give kids anymore or rape them anymore. essentially. So, they think they're safe, but of course they're not. The mother finds them, murders the drug addict, the, the homeless guy. They try to escape. They run up this water tower. Of course, Tess is still weak because she's got a bullet wound. AJ, being a scumbag because you're led to believe that he's a real piece of shit, he grabs her and he throws Tess off the top of the water tower. What happens is the mother dives after her and you'd think that, oh, that's just when they both die. But no, you peek over the edge and you see that the mother is lying on the ground with Tess on top of her. AJ goes down, realizes that Tess is still alive, is trying to help her, 
he's saying, I'm sorry, you know, there was no other choice, I had no other choice, it was, you know, you were slowing me down, and this, that, and the other, trying to make excuses for being a piece of shit. So, as he's trying to help Tess up, the mother wakes up, grabs him by the head, jams both of her thumbs into his eyes, and then rips his head in half. So, AJ dies, Tess is lying on the floor, and Tess finds the gun that AJ had. And the mother is trying to console her, but but Tess lifts up the gun to the mother's head, and the mother doesn't fight her. The mother's just kind of looking at her like she was her child, and then the movie ends with a gunshot being heard, so you're led to believe that the mother's dead. And then it cuts to credits, rejoins the scene where Tess is now walking down the street, so you know that she survived, she's the final girl, such and such. And that's essentially how the movie ends. It ends with the only survivor being Tess and the mother finally being dead. Holy shit, is this such a wild ride of a film. It is so tense. It builds such good atmosphere. It really takes so many different twists and turns. Like, you really do believe, at first, Bill Skarsgård's character, Keith, is has something to do with it. Then you have this whole backstory with AJ that doesn't really have much to do, but it really makes you hate him. And it sort of makes you believe, yeah, you know what, maybe AJ's going to survive. And the fact that there really is only one survivor out of, like, anybody who's really deeply involved in the story. And just what it is that this is truly about. Because I'm watching it and I'm still, like, I'm still trying to understand where Barbarian comes from. (laughs) I don't know why it's called the Barbarian. But as far as I know, Zach Kreger, good for you. That is, this is just tremendous for me this is just a tremendous feat to know that this is a uh, the type of writing that comes out of you in all honesty i hope you do more i hope this gets all the critically acclaimed responses it deserves it's got 92 on rotten tomatoes it's like a 5.7 on imdb it's 78 uh, out of 100 on metacritic it's 70 percent overall on like google and cinema score it's gotten a pluses and c pluses it's it it like 10 times its budget. I think it was worth like 4 million in budget and it did like 40 million in the box office. Not, you know, mind blowing, but for a film that cost only $4 million, still pretty good. And what a feat for a guy like Zach Kreger. And I just hope that this is something that is leading up to what would be more and what we would hope to get more out of him as not only a writer, but also a director. Like that's what you have to remember watching this is that, This guy, from the whitest kids you know, both wrote and directed. He's got a small role in it, but it's not major. It's kind of like how M. Night Shyamalan kind of takes a small role in his movies. So he's got a small role, but it's not that big of a deal. But he wrote and directed this film. And my hat's off to you. This is probably the best film right now that you could watch for the Halloween season. And it's just an overall really, really good scary movie. Totally worth sitting through. Totally worth all of the accolades it gets, all of the good ratings it gets. It is totally, totally worth it if you haven't seen it. I thoroughly recommend it. If I had more thumbs, this would get more thumbs. If I had more skulls, this would get more skulls. Whatever rating system you wanted to be, this is so, so worth it. Kudos to you again, Zach Kreger. Please do more.